Oh, I'm always happy to be here. Why is it? It must be because you're all such lovely people with your masks on. And our lovely people out in the parking lot. I heard a couple, I heard a couple honks, so. Your church loves you. Your preacher loves you. I'm behind the brick wall in this building over here. All right, if you're visiting with us, you are most welcome. We're glad to have you here with us these strange times. Some of us have been through the, through the ringer lately with different things going on with health concerns and surgeries and family situations, and we're glad you're here too. And we're glad we get to encourage each other as we continue in our series in Acts. And uh, just as, as we get started, I would like to ask, uh, we sent a congregational survey in the mail to you, uh, I think it was about four weeks ago now, three or four weeks. If you would get those in this week, that would be very helpful for me uh, to go ahead and fill that out and send that back in. Uh, if you have not received that, you can let us know. Uh, somehow it got missed in the mail or got filed in with the junk mail or got filed in with the mail to take care of later on that got thrown out later. <laughs> you know, all kinds of things happen like that. So, All right, so as we get into our text this morning, we're going to just back up a little bit and we're going to recap some of the things that we looked at uh, last week, some of the main points that we, we were supposed to take away. And so I kind of centered in on this uh, chapter 23, verse 11, about the Lord's goodness to give Paul exactly what he needs. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. In our moments of greatest need, in our moments of crisis, in our dark nights, when the Lord, when the Lord Jesus comes and stands by us, when he shows up, uh, those moments are redeemed and transformed into moments of great strength and hope for us. And this is just the character of God. This is what God does. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man or woman may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. That's just God and his character of love at work. Uh, so our task then is to pay attention and learn how to hear this encouragement from the Lord that he wants to share with us and learn how to wait upon the Lord and then um, move forward in steps of faith and action to honor him. But one thing I forgot to talk about last week, uh, you know, I spit out so many words and I only have so much time I can fit them in and, you know, I get a certain amount of time before the yawns and the stirring comes and the glaze dies and the, you know, the snoring from some. No, hopefully not too much snoring. Uh, and this is one of the things I forgot to get in there from last week. You know, there are different ways that the Lord comes and he encourages us. He gives Paul exactly what Paul needs in his moment of need. But you know, you and I have experiences that, of that as well. And we need to be willing to share those experiences of how the Lord has helped us in our time of need, how the Lord has been there to encourage us. Um, we Christians sell ourselves short by quietly and quickly forgetting the moments 
of the Lord's help and provision and not talking about them for fear that people, they're not going to understand or they're going to think I'm making this up or fill in the blank. Your testimony of how Jesus Christ has stood by you and helped you, you could give that to a brother or sister and it might be the hope that they need to hang on a bit longer. We should share these stories within this church body of how the Lord has provided for us, about how the Lord has taken care of us, about how the Lord has saved us. But also, you know, this situation with Paul, he's not just sleeping in a bed of his own bad choices and sins. Paul is in this predicament precisely because he's putting his neck out, sticking his neck out for Jesus Christ. It's because he is serving the Lord his God with heart, mind, soul, and strength that he's in the predicament that he's in. And I've never uh, had a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. But then again, I've never gone for broke like Paul has. I've gone for broke pretty good compared to maybe some people as a missionary overseas in hardships that, you know, are not common to uh, a lot of lives, uh, just being around some of those things. Um, But even still, even though I've never had the Lord come stand to me in a physical face-to-face manifestation or whatever, uh, the Lord has found ways to encourage me through the years uh, and give me the encouragement that I've needed to go on. And we should share these things with each other. So for me, uh, the Lord's communication to me comes in a variety of different ways. Dreams and vision, uh, words of scripture have always played a big part for me. A song I find myself singing and then I realize the words that are coming out and those words are meant to encourage me and teach me. Um, through other people, through the circumstances of life around me. But the primary communication tool given to us for establishing and, and furthering a relationship with the Lord, and this is, this is the primary tool I think the Lord wants to use to encourage us as well. It's receiving encouragement from God through the gift of prayer. And when we pray, the Lord acts. And when we speak our words of hurt or brokenness or whatever they are to the Lord, it's not like we're giving the Lord information he doesn't already have. But it's inviting the Lord in to our darkest reality, our deepest joys, our greatest sorrows. And in that place, he gives us encouragement I always like this this saying by William Temple. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. It's all just coincidence, right? So I, I like it when those happy coincidences happen in my life. So uh, the takeaways that I gave you last week from our sermon, if you stick your neck out and live your life to honor Jesus Christ, he's going to stand beside us and give us all the encouragement that we need to accomplish the tasks that he gives us to do. That means the Eugene Church of Christ in this crazy year 2020, somehow we have everything we need right here if we have the faith to, to, to grab a hold of it and step out and do it. We have all of the pieces that we need to be God's people in this place, in our particular time. That's an encouragement. 
The second one is uh, in our faithfulness, when we, we don't get all the information and then sit there with crossed arms and, okay, Lord, if you give me some special uh, information or something, then I'll act. No, the, the life of discipleship is a life filled with creativity, a life filled with risk, a life filled with stepping out. And Lord, it's, it's the, way, the way we approach our life in Jesus Christ is, Lord, if you do something and you make this seem real enough to me, then I'll act. No, the way that we live life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I step out there in such a way that if the Lord doesn't show up and help me, my goose is cooked. I'm going to step out here and take a risk for honoring you, Jesus Christ. And you live that in reality. And we wait on the Lord to show up and do his work. We have a part to play. So when we, discover, when we step out in faith, we discover all of the ways that the Lord has been with us all, all along. We're just, we're just blind so many times, moment by moment, to what God is doing around us. Uh, the, this very air I'm breathing right now, uh, just our getting to be together, the, the health, the history that I've had, uh, a lot of times those things are not in our minds in our awareness at all. But the invitation is when we step out in faith, we get to discover the ways that Jesus provides and sustains and how he has brought us safely to this point. So Jesus shows up with everything that Paul needs to keep on going, which is good because Jews are stubborn and they have in their heart uh, and in their mind an idea to off Paul. And so they come up with a plot because their hatred of Paul is now something that runs very deep. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot, and they went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin, Petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. The fact that more than Jewish men are set on killing a man shows something of the animosity that Jews felt toward Paul and the Gentile mission. Uh, and we might miss the fullness of that kind of... Um, that kind of weight of being in, in someone's target like that. Most of us have found ways to remain comfortable and, and even complacent as Christians. So sometimes I don't think we fully appreciate how faith in Jesus Christ at its purest and at its deepest, it's a disruptive force in this world. It shakes things up around it. It disrupts synagogues, it disrupts paganism, it disrupts lukewarm faith. Somehow the old saying is true that Christianity comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. So these 40-plus men are upset to the point that they, they make an oath in haste before the Lord. Ironically, they claim zeal for the Lord as justification for breaking law of the, the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord which says, do not murder. 
and they are completely blind to the possibility that perhaps the Lord is doing something through Jesus and his disciples, disciples like Paul. They have already ruled in their minds about where the threat is and where the Lord is and who's God, whose side God is on. They've already made up their mind. So their willingness to murder, it shows us something about the condition of their heart. They have made a vow in haste that they will be forced to break. And so they come before the Sanhedrin not with a polite request, but with a demand. They have made this oath. But it isn't just a a moral failure in this text of the younger hotheads who are ready to kill. It's also a moral failure of the leadership of the entire Jewish people, of the Sanhedrin, of the the chief priest and and these elders. You see, they are complicit in murder and they make no effort to restrain evil that's about to take place. And so I wonder, how blind have you become when you think you need to kill people to somehow protect God? Which is all about protecting their places of power and privilege and let's keep things business as usual. Let's maintain the status quo. But now their plans for evil, and this is often the case for, for evil plans and schemes, they come unraveled from someone who they thought was really a nobody. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Just this little kid, I imagine a kid, you know, I don't, we don't know exactly how old he is, but someone who is insignificant enough that they don't even pay attention to, who happens to be a nephew of Paul. And so I, th- I thought of the Lord of the Rings movie. But something happened then the ring did not intend. It was picked up by the most unlikely creature imaginable, a hobbit of the Shire. Sometimes these, these schemes for evil in this world, it, they really are undone by the most humble and unassuming means possible. So... I find great comfort in that. Paul has a young nephew who is unimportant enough that no one pays attention to him. And when this nephew overhears the plan, he books it to Uncle Paul to go ahead and spill the beans of what's happening. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the, young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. So we know that Paul, he's a brave guy. He's not afraid to face danger. But we've also found out that Paul, he does not have a death wish. And uh, last night, Jesus confirmed Paul's marching orders to him. Orders that he has to go to Rome to continue to testify. That Paul gets another pulpit, this time in Rome. So now Paul's actions are in line with whatever it takes to move in the direction of God's desire and God's will that has been revealed to him through Jesus telling him. So once again, we come to this tricky place. Where does divine guidance and provision end and human initiative begin? 
at what point do we act on information that we have as best we can? And what are the times that we just need to sit still in prayer and wait for things? Well, it takes a lot of wisdom and discernment to know how to act, first of all, how to act appropriately on the information that we have as a disciple of Jesus, and uh, when to wait on the Lord in prayer. And waiting on the Lord, it's not easy. But it's not just twiddling your thumbs. Waiting on the Lord is very active. It is, it's more, I think waiting of the Lord, we would be better to understand that as wrestling with God. Wrestling with God on what needs to happen in a situation. So Paul, we know he's used his Roman citizenship. Paul, he was not above throwing, a, a, in logic terms, a red herring argument out for the Sanhedrin's witch hunt. He'll let them chase that rabbit. And now Paul passes intelligence on to his Roman captors. So he's using the cards and taking initiative as he understands it to fulfill and accomplish the will of the Lord. So the question for us is, what about our life? What about you? Have you figured out when to act and when to wait? If you've lived long enough, if you've thought about it deep enough, we can think of times that we should have acted, but instead we waited, and times when we should have waited, but instead we acted. We all get a lot of that baggage, don't we? We've probably heard the joke about the man who was caught in the flood. The water started rising, and he crawls up on the roof and starts to pray to the Lord to deliver him. Save me, Lord, he's crying out. And after a while, this fire truck comes down the road in the water, and uh, they call out to him, but he waves them on. And then the waters continue to rise, and a little while later, a neighbor comes in a boat, and he comes and tries to help the man off of his roof and into the boat. But the man refuses. No, the Lord is going to save me. And the waters continue to rise, and finally a search and rescue helicopter comes, and they lower down this line to him. And, they, and he, he, this line is dangling there in front of him, but he refuses to take hold of it. And finally, the helicopter has to move on, and the, continue, the waters, they continue to rise, and finally the man is drowned. And when he gets to heaven, he asks the Lord, Lord, why didn't you save me? And the Lord replied, what do you mean? I sent a fire truck, a boat, and a helicopter. God gives us minds. He gives us wisdom. He gives us the ability to make choices and process complex information. God expects us to do things. God expects us to pay attention to our circumstances. So Paul, he is able to wait on the Lord in prayer, and he is also able to play the cards that he's been given. Was it just coincidence that a nephew overhears news of a Jewish murder plot. Paul doesn't think so because he takes that information and he passes it on right away as an act of faith and trust in the Lord. So, something to think about. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. And the commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, 
What is it that you want to tell me? He said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him, and they are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Don't tell anyone. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Governor Felix, taken safely there. So another irony of this whole situation is that Paul's captors have now become Paul's protectors. It was just a few verses ago. These guys are just ready to throw Paul to the dogs. They're ready to flog him to get whatever information that he needs. And now, somehow, when the Spirit's at work with all of the circumstances, the Roman government is mobilizing 470 professional soldiers at considerable expense and effort, no doubt, to transport Paul safely to this coastal city of Caesarea, a Roman stronghold in Judea, Caesarea was. So the commander then, he, he has to explain these actions, and so he writes this letter to Governor Felix. Claudius... Lysias, he's the tribune, the commander of the Roman guard, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. So uh, a word about this Felix guy. Uh, history does tell us some, some information about Felix. Uh, he was a favored freed slave who was appointed by the Emperor Claudius, and his rule in Judea began somewhere between 52 and 53 AD, and it ended around 59 or 60. So we know that this, fall, this story is falling somewhere in that little window there. Uh, and he was recalled from his post uh, for his failure to deal and, uh, with and quell the Jewish violence. It was during his governance in Judea. Sometimes he reacted very harshly to try to squelch the violence, which created more violence. It was during this guy's reign that the whole zealot movement really caught on and, took, and gained some steam. So Jewish zealot, the Jewish zealots began to emerge under this guy's uh, uh, governorship. So Claudius Lysias explains what he's figured out about the situation with Paul, which really, it wasn't much. But even so, he had concluded that Paul doesn't seem to have done anything wrong that merits uh, judicial punishments on Felix's behalf. And somehow, uh, this Claudius guy also didn't mention the fact that he had almost flogged a Roman citizen. He just kind of conveniently left that part out. So in this letter, he goes on and says, This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he was a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law. 
but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once, and I also ordered that his accuser, her, I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So I think another thing that Luke is doing is that he's also showing in a lot of ways that, you know, it's not business as usual as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is a disruptive force, but it's not illegal or incompatible with being a citizen of the Roman Empire. Uh, and I think Luke is trying to bring that out on multiple occasions, that discipleship to Jesus Christ is is not a threat to Rome in a direct sense anyway. Jesus puts it best when they give him the coin. Whose image is on this? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the Lord what is the Lord's. So I think Paul tries to uh, bring this out in, in, in the, the Acts narrative. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Ant. And to Patris, the next day they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. And then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. So uh, this is kind of transitional week in our text. I could go on, but I'm not going to. I think we've dealt with enough text here. And strangely enough, I think there's some things that we can take away, even from this little section. So I want to save the integrity of his defense before Felix and Festus for next week. And I'm really excited to get into that. But I'm going to I'm going to restrain myself a little bit. And I know you're not used to me cutting things off a little shorter and restraining myself, but uh, here you go. But I think that we have some take-homes for even this week. So, one, we've got these Jewish hotheads who are ready to just do whatever it takes, and they're going to they're going to get their way. They're going to find their guy. We've made a, they make this rash oath. They're going, to, they're going to do violence. They're going to kill, and they're ready for that. And then we have this leadership that also agrees it would be very convenient if this guy just goes away and disappears. And so they're complicit in evil. And maybe some of them had a qualm in their conscience, but their failure is they fail to speak out against evil and try to restrain evil. What are the times in your life? I mean, you think about the crazy year that we're in right now. We've got a few days until an election that I, I mean, my history's not as long as some people's. I have never known the United States of America to be so polarized and at each other's throats like in this day and age. That is crazy to me. It is not the country that I grew up in. 
In this crazy time, and think about in this political hotbed environment, what are times that you feel so strongly about some things that you're willing to speak against and potentially do evil out of fear, out of, I don't know. I don't, you, you look at your own heart. Who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? We all make these judgments. We think we know who, ha, who has the right hat on and who doesn't. Consider that we have blind spots. Consider that. And this leadership of the Sanhedrin, these Jewish elders who give in to the demands of people who want to do murder, who fail to restrain evil. Have you ever been in a situation uh, where you yourself were contemplating evil or you were in a group that was heading in a direction that you believed was wrong and you failed, out, you failed to speak out against that evil? That's a sad story for some of us, and we, we recognize that, uh, that there's at least the potential for that. And what that does is if you ask yourself that question and you can be honest about it, that gives us pause. And it puts us in a place, maybe, where we can start to listen a little bit again. I mean, I get it. You can only listen to so much crazy for so long. But we have to be discerning in our, where we're getting our information from. Where we are bombarded with so much noise and it's so polarized. Wake up, Christian. How are you letting the light in? How are you silencing those voices to listen to voices you know to be true? We need to be relying on the word of God. We've always said that. This is a church of Christ. We need to be letting the word of God be the voice that speaks into our hearts and our lives. Number two, be wise in how you use circumstances to accomplish the tasks the Lord gives to you. We've got, we've got stuff the, the Lord expects us to do. We have cards to play. We need to do that in faith. And sometimes that takes discernment on our, our part. Uh, Jesus tells Paul, hey, you're getting a promotion again. You're going to Rome. And you know what? Paul, he starts to act accordingly. He's not going to sit around doing nothing uh, because he's a, he knows this is not a long shot coincidence. This is no coincidence at all. When a family relative gets wind of the plot, Paul passes that information on to the Roman commanders. He is playing the cards of the situation that he's in and has dealt with. And then the third thing, think about, this is our third takeaway, think about all of the wills at play. You know, the, the people who have all of these ideas about why they're in the game and what they're hoping to accomplish. So we had the will of brothers and sisters of Paul and Christ who don't want him to go to Jerusalem at all. You remember that? 
In fact, the Holy Spirit was acting in, in their lives to try to keep Paul safe. And then we have Paul who has got this will that is set on getting to Jerusalem. And then you have the will of the, of the Christian elders, James and the elders of the, the Jerusalem church, who want to refute false claims that are against Paul to kind of prove his innocence. So they come up with this plan for uh, helping pay the fees for these vows and going with these other Jews to show that he is in obedience to the law. They had, they had a will and an agenda and ideas. And then the, the will of the Jews, who are so upset with everything that's happened surrounding Paul that they, they, and they want to get rid of Paul so badly that they incite uh, uh, this revolt of the Jewish people. And then you have this will of the Roman military who's an occupying force who are trying to do their best to understand the situation around them who are, have a will to have civil rest and peace, who have a will to identify and recognize potential threats to the empire. And then you have the will of Jewish hotheads who, out of zeal for the Lord, are, are, are rash in making an oath to commit murder. And then you have the will of the Sanhedrin, these Jewish elders, who are allowing themselves to be complicit in evil because this guy is a threat to their privilege and their position. And then you have this will of Paul who's playing the cards that he has because he's been told that you have more work to do and he's going to carry on with this task to go preach in Rome. And then next week we're going to look at this agenda of Roman governors and those who are calling some of the political shots. So I just want you to know everyone has a will and an agenda with this. Everyone is trying to get what, and, and some of them, not all of them, but some of them don't even recognize that they're not the ones in control. They think they're pulling the strings. They think they're calling the shots. They think they have the power. How true is that of our environment? How true is that of me in my life? that I think I'm the one driving things, that I have the power to take care of myself, my family, my church. There's also someone else who has an agenda for your life, who actually has the right answers, who has the competence to know how to handle your mess in your situations, who has the heart of love that is going to work for good on your behalf and who has the power to take care of business. That's what the story of Acts is all about. It is the will of the Lord that will prevail. It's the Holy Spirit. I call this the Acts of the Spirit because it's, it's the Holy Spirit who can work between all of these stories, all of these wills, and all of these agendas and somehow the story and purposes that God is trying to accomplish, they are moving forward and the work of the Lord is accomplished. So the question for us is then, do we trust this? Do we really trust that the Holy Spirit is able to work in our circumstances around our lives? You know your messes. Do you think 
that God can take those pieces and somehow graft them into the story that he's telling in this world? You betcha. I've found that to be true. Professing that and saying that is a truth and living that in your life are two different things, though. We don't always live fully into the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is a freedom of knowing no matter what happens, God's will will be done. It's going to be accomplished. If you really believe that God has power, that he's competent to graft you into his story, the result is that you get to live a life of freedom that very few people in this world understand or know how to even approach. I just think it's a fairy tale. This is just a lie. This is not, you're holding on to fairy dust or something. But for those few who step out in faith, believing that God has got everything in tow, believing that the Lord God has Calvin written on his palm, believes that God, the God who says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. If I believe that in my heart, I am free to act and behave in this world in a way that is inconceivable to other people. See, Jesus Christ stood next to Paul. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? He's the creator and sustainer of everything. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? He is the king of the universe, sovereign over history, over time, over circumstances. Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, he is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the one who holds all power and authority. And he is the one who stands next to Paul and says, take courage. I've got a job for you. You know what? In the end, it's only what Jesus says that's going to matter. If you believe that, not just in your words with what you profess, but you live up to the reality of that in your life, it's going to take deep faith to do that, first of all. But as you begin to walk in that reality, you'll know the truth of it. And some of us have felt some of that even now. We're scratching the surface, and there's so much more available to us. So Jason, you can come forward. I hope that we can find encouragement and consider that we don't have all of the pieces, that we have blind spots. Second, you've got a part to play. Be thoughtful in that. Third, it's the will of the Lord that's going to be accomplished. Trust that. Act on that. So our closing verse I have for us uh, is this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout 
the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him, whose heart is fixed on him. If the Lord is before you like that, God is going to take care of all of the details. You can bank on that. You can trust that. So our invitation to you is is to continue to move forward in that kind of faith in your life. If you need the prayers of this church, uh, you can come forward and let us know how we can be praying for you and surrounding you. If you want to put the Lord on in baptism and commit your life publicly and the, with this fellowship uh, to, to giving yourself to the Lord Jesus entirely, you have opportunities for all of these things. You just let us know how we can help you as, uh, come forward as we stand and sing together. There's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Let us haste, so haste to its brink. Tis the fount of love from the source above, and he bids us all freely drink. Will you come to the fountain free?
Let us hasten joyfully there. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Hear the welcome call, tis the fountain open for 